to another installment of uh, Disciple Life, the Bible and Everyday Life. Is this your dad? No. I'm kidding. Anyway, sorry. There's no, a no, weird no. photo that's behind us. So um, for those of you interested, which some of you may not, this is actually, and I explained this to someone else who was in the office. This is the story of John Baugh, who is the founder of Cisco uh, Foods. And this was presented to me by his now late daughter, uh, Mrs. Baugh. Uh, in 2014, when we were doing a fundraiser for the Baptist University of the Americas, uh, Mr. Ball was also influential with uh, the 1990s, early 2000s Baptist uh, resolution that happened, uh, how we got Baylor and other universities and seminaries to do theological education. So, anyway, I just it, he's peering over my shoulder. So it was. A I knew. I knew it wasn't your dad. I was just kidding. Yeah, it was a gift, and so I have a thing about gifts, not throwing them away. Anyway, so yesterday we had a, a, a wonderful service. Uh, we had a number of baby dedications, which are important. I think that's something we can address, mm -hmm. being that we are not pedo-baptist, but credo-baptist at mm -hmm. this church. We also had a wonderful time hearing how God has moved in the lives of uh, a number of people that we partner with, good friends of yours and Pastor Johnny, yep. um, through the Maritza Ministries. And then we had cherry on top of everything the word of god proclaimed to us by you as you led us through ironically uh, the dedication of jesus at the temple in jerusalem so let's change it up a bit let's i don't want to ask so many questions you can ask me questions we can just have a conversation where do you want to begin today oh man um so i like how you're throwing me curveballs because we we don't prime or prep for this we just like we finish what we're doing. We'll walk right in. Um, well, we're good friends, so that kind of helps. Yeah, but it's like <laughs> you could have uh, anyway. You were um, busy. I'm not going to disturb your time for sermon prep. Um, so, so I get to be the interrogator today. What did you hear? That's yesterday? not what I said. <laughs> what did you hear yesterday? So yesterday, um, if I'm hearing big, the big picture, it's almost like God is calling us to remember who to whom we belong. And where we all fit in this whole thing called church life, mm -hmm. by the simple nature of we 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 finished the conference on Saturday afternoon, which people were very thankful for. And the feedback we have is, we want more of this. With how do we continue to go out and how do we focus on the gospel? Moving into Sunday morning, where we hear Julie and. Okay, I want to, Ivan, yeah, Ivan, thank you. And we hear Ivan speaking of how God God faithfully shows up for his people when we follow in obedience. And then, again, connecting right into that, the dedication of Jesus, fulfilling Old Testament law, fulfilling the culmination, the climax, if you will, of the promise of a Messiah. He was born, and we see how two different individuals who were told of God Look for the Messiah who will be coming. You will not die before the Messiah comes. They see him and we see two responses of worship and praise. And so I'm I'm, a, I'm not necessarily taken aback, but I am very thankful for the reminder that for if we remain faithful in our waiting, we see God do amazing things. And that connects with Maritza. It connects with the conference and it connected with the sermon. 
that's that's the big message just for a whole weekend worth of um, activities going on. Okay. From your message in particular, I think one of the things that really stuck with me, and again, my, my way of doing applause is doing note writing. It's how you talk about Jesus giving us our satisfaction as no one else can, meaning he satisfies us. And if mm -hmm. he satisfies us, then we have no lack, no want. Similar to, as we see in scripture, and I have it right in front of me, when we see, what's the name, the first name? Talking about Simeon? Simeon being first, and then the prophetess. Anna. Hannah, Anna. And we see how both of them are fully satisfied with God and his promise, knowing that God will f fulfill his word. But they were both, both elderly, uh, ready to die. But they knew that they would not die until they would see the fulfillment of what God had promised them. And so that's what I heard yesterday, among many other things. Okay. So I want to take this to practical things. Sure. Um, where do you see folks maybe struggling um, when it comes to just what you're highlighting right now? This idea of, of faithfulness and waiting on God. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. Where, where do you see people struggling with that? Wow. Um, where don't we? Um, speaking to myself, and, and this is, I guess, a time of confession. I don't like waiting for things. Uh, patience, if you ask my lovely wife, um, it's not one of my virtues. It's something that I constantly have to surrender to God to continue to help me edify me. So the whole waiting component, it's a challenge, I think, not only for me, but for our society, our culture, because we have a instant gratification problem by the way that just here in the United States and Western society functions. Um, we value timeliness of tasks. We value the how quickly can we get this done so we can be profitable, so we can be relevant. Um, and so just in that aspect, I think that we struggle as a society. I think we struggle with it as a church. Um, and again, it is an open critique, but not in a way of tearing it down, but speaking truth to something that needs to change is for the longest time, placing such an emphasis on how many people do you have on a Sunday morning? And that's just from the pastoral perspective. How many people do you have on a Sunday morning? How many people do you have connected to a Sunday school? How many people do you, do you have attending special events? And that's great. We do want to have numerical impact. But I don't think that's the same as having spiritual impact, which if we just go back to Jesus's ministry, as we I've been reading through a, a canonical reading plan of the New Testament. I mean, some people with, by modern standards, especially the last 40, 50 years of it, some people would say, well, Jesus was not really that successful because people were coming to him for miracles. Everyone wanted the miracles. But when he started teaching the hard truths that spoke to our humanity, <laughs> a handful of people remained. So I think that's where we struggle with that. If we want to take it more into a personal level, we also struggle with the idea of, can we really trust God when we don't know who he is? When we do not understand the fact that because he's unchanging, if he says he's going to do something, he will do it. 
But if we do not know that God faithfully from scriptures, then we might as well be waiting for the genie from Aladdin to show up and grant us three wishes. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's, I could go on and on, but I don't want to do that. So you've, you've identified some of the struggles. So how do we, in your mind, in identifying the problems and struggles that we face in this relationship, how do we practically begin to make progress in a healthy, spiritual way? What do you mean by progress? Because that could mean a number of things. How, how, do we, how do we improve this? this? Or how do we overcome, maybe? How do we move forward from where we are in a way that honors Christ? Mm. Uh, it's going to sound very simplistic, but simplicity sometimes can be overlooked. Uh, I think know the scripture because we, again, uh, coming from a presupposition that scripture is not the result of man's writing. Man has a component there. It's the medium, one of the mediums. Um, but knowing that the God of the God of Scripture is the living God who speaks truth and gives us truth. Therefore, if we confess that and that is our presupposition, then knowing his word allows us to disarm some of those concerns and some of those frailties. Like um, I, I was having a conversation with someone about a month ago here at the church and very simple. Remember who, to whom you belong and remember that, that the one to whom you belong tells you, be anxious for nothing. Because at the root of it all, anxiety or impa being impatient means that we are not trusting in him. It means that we are focusing on something or someone else. And so knowing his word allows us to recall the Psalms, the Proverbs, the, the many instances in the Old Testament where God took more than just a week or a year to fulfill a promise, um, but he still came through and he did it in a manner that was faithful to what he said. So knowing his Bible, his word, the scriptures would be the foundation. The second one would be to be open to the correction of someone who's wiser and uh, perhaps more developed as a, in their Christian walk. So having a mentor that can help you by sharing where, where they've been, what has been some of the best things that they have employed to help them go through those similar struggles. Um, and also to just encourage you along the way. So I think those relationships inside and outside the church are important. Um, I would also say... Uh, don't try to do things alone, which it's it's not necessarily the mentorship, but in a general sense, it's easier to be patient when we have multiple voices around us that help us to grasp the beauty of who God is and how he designed the church to be. Hmm. Okay. What, um, what do you think would, would be important things just from what you heard preached yesterday? Um, for someone to, to take and seek, or maybe not things, what, what would be one important thing in light of all that we've been discussing for someone to, te to, to take and seek to apply in their lives this week? Hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. Now you got to explain that for folks. Because I, I hear that in the, the, 
the, the the euphemism that we often hear about uh, those who have served particularly in the army. You know, it's a lot of hurry up and wait. Yes. Um, what are we talking about here? So when you bring us to the text, so Jesus, uh, it's been the time of purification. So for both the mother and the baby, um, now they're going to the temple. Uh, and the way that this is coming about for me is, yes, we see a very poor family coming to dedicate a baby that is, he wasn't born into royalty. So there's no big to do there per se. But when we see Simeon and his response to God, I mean, just look at verse 25. And there was an, a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, God himself, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Savior, the Messiah. So here comes Mary, here comes Joseph carrying baby, this baby named Jesus. And suddenly he gets to see him and hold him. As I, as I believe this is what's happening in the scriptures. If I'm wrong, please correct me. And now he says, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. An aged man faithfully serving in the temple. Who knew who, whom by God's spirit was told, you will not taste death or you will not pass away until you see my answered prayer, not just to you, but to a whole number of people. He had to just be patient and wait, knowing that God would not just uh -huh. leave him alone. So but when I say hurry up and wait, it's very much consistent with not only the text, but the testimony we had from Julian Ivan. The whole hurry up and wait, it's not necessarily like we're sitting with our thumbs just twiddling them around and looking around distracted and looking for things. But rather, we look with anticipation to what God is going to do, knowing that if we are faithful to honor him by giving him the latitude to do what he wants to do in our lives, the way he wants to do in our lives, then beautiful things are going to come, which was a, a beautiful connection, I think, between your sermon and Julie and Ivan's testimony and how God has moved in their lives and the lives of those who are working with Maritzo, uh, where they had a, they had jobs that paid them very well. They go and work in this poverty uh, national statistic, the lead of national statistics central, like poverty, drug use, depression, you name it. And they fall in love with the place and with the people. And, and they just trust God along the way, like, okay, Lord, if you're calling us, the house has to sell, we need to buy this home, and all of our debts have to be paid off. Those are details from Ivan and Julie's testimony that I heard over the weekend. And within a month, God takes care of it, and they're moving right. to Kentucky. So hurrying up and wait is a good thing, mm -hmm. especially in, in spiritual matters. Um, I believe it was you last week during conversation that told me, um, uh, hurry is the devil, quoting right. a book, right? right? And so if hurry is the devil, and this is from a pastoral perspective, then perhaps God is in the, in, in, in the waiting. Ah, yeah, okay. That's a great connection right there. So, um, and we don't like to wait. I mean, you think about it from a financial perspective, which here in our, in our country, if you look at the way even the economy works now, everything centers on how quickly can you make something happen so that you don't spend 
as much money or so you can make the most money? Well, I think just even on a personal level, and this isn't a, a, a discussion for personal finances, uh, although I guess if we need to go there, we can. But speaking to the hurried nature of things, um, the United States, like much of Western society, uh, has structured itself economically that we don't need to even wait to obtain things, right? right. Um, so we can get what we want as long as our credit limit allows for it. Or as fast as your thumbs allow you to do that on Amazon Prime sure. and or the, any other platform. So, and there, there are still, still, and I don't mean that in a negative light, but there are um, countries where there is no credit system. It's cash-based, right? Right. Um, and so there's there's something commendable to that um, that that speaks to just how you condition yourselves or you you train yourself for patience and right. waiting. Um, and I think one of our great challenges when we talk about this idea of hurry up and wait is it's completely countercultural for you and I to even exercise any semblance of waiting. Right. Um, it's this, you know, we're, we're, we, and I don't mean just you and I as, you know, persons who serve in ministry, the uh, royal, we, yeah, right. the royal, we, um, we are applauded for how quickly and efficiently and whatever we can accomplish or obtain. Right. Which in reality is very counterintuitive to building relationships or to digging out the deep truths that we see people like, uh, Anselm of Canterbury or John Chrysostom or Polycarp or the Apostle John. So Carlos is going church historian right now, yeah. naming yeah. guys that maybe most of you don't know. Just, right. just know that these are dudes that once lived. Anyway. And, and people who were faithful to God sure. in the teaching of his sure. word. So we read books by them, treatises by them, and we see, man, this guy's really, seem, it seems like if they were a little kid, they were walking hand in hand with God. Mm -hmm. like, that type of relationship. But when we when we consider the cultural implications of the time in which they lived, no television, no internet, no electricity, none of the modern acumen of modern technology, right? And yet in the simplicity of their life, we see the richness of their time spent in scripture and other resources like Hebrew and Greek texts that are connected to scripture. And we see the richness of the scholarship on one side, but the richness of their understanding and devotion of God come through their text. Because we, we wondered, how did they have all the time? Well, they didn't have all the distraction. And not only that, but if we go from a modern post-World War II society where how the the Ford mentality, right? The whole, all you have to do is one job, so we can pump out as many Model Ts down the down the chute. We're going back to a time where everything was an agrarian system. The sun rises, the sun sets. That's the time you have to work, and work was different, more arduous physical physically, but it was also limited by the nature of the way that God intended time to run. Now, if we want to work until 2 a.m. the following day, turn on the lights, get you some coffee. I mean, coffee was not discovered until the mid-1600s, so, uh, you know, kind of, a, kind of an important thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so you may be wondering as, as you're listening to this, like, okay, so summing up what Carlos is saying, he's, he's talking about these individuals who demonstrated um, just great familiarity with, with God, patience, with God. They <laughs> yeah. came, they came through an unhurried state yeah. um, because and in in their unhurriedness, they were able to find that the spirit of God was um, maturing them in their relationship with right. the father. Right. And so you may be wondering, OK, where do I even begin to um, reclaim time? Ooh, that um, is. And so where do I even begin to reclaim time? Because, you know, he's he's talking about guys that lived like forever ago. Yeah. Some of um, them a thousand years ago. And, and so. You know, there's unique challenges to us. And so one thing I just looked up really quickly, um, on average, um, on average, every person with an Instagram account spends 29 minutes per day on that platform. Right. 29 minutes on Instagram. What would happen? What would it look like if instead of scrolling through um, these posts that are really otherwise meaningless, if you had 29 focus minutes with the Lord, right? That would be revolutionary because right. most Christians, and I think it, it was put out by Barna a year ago. Most Christians do not spend 10 minutes on the word every day. Most Christians think regular Bible reading is once or twice a week. Yeah. So if we just think about that, we, we may not know what the Kardashians of the world or, uh, depending on your political leaning, whether Dr. Fauci or Mr. President Biden or President Trump, we, will, we may not know what they are saying through their social platforms, but we would know exactly what the Word of God is telling us every day. Now, if you read the Bible 30 minutes a day, just to take that particular time from social media browsing, um, I have not, I have very high confidence that you would be able to tackle pretty much the entire Bible in a year. Oh, yeah. If not more. Oh, yeah. Simply because as you read more, the familiarity with the, 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 the style of the book or the letter grows. I mean, you can read James and Jude in less than that than 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, if you just read it for reading it. Now, if you take your time and you break it down 30 minutes a day. In, in five years, you would be able to go toe to toe with some of the great scholars of our day. Right. Just 29 minutes right there. 29 minutes is one way you can begin to eliminate to, hurry to eliminate hurry. Hurry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not that I'm anti Instagram, but I'm anti all the things that are that are time sucks. Right. Like that. Right. So they, they, they just bleed time out of our day and we don't even realize it. You may, as you're listening to us, not even realize how much time you're spending on these platforms. You just drop into this world of, you know, happy-go-lucky or whatever and not even realize that 30 minutes are gone. Well, and, and, and I'm going to switch it up to something more about grenade moments. So okay. please just bear with me. Okay. That is in just browsing a social media platform. If you can do a, say, a similar search, yeah. how much time on average does a person spend viewing pornography oh man i i'm kind of afraid of what's going to come up on this average time is there are you like setting me up is that why you're asking me to, to search for it no i'm not setting anyone up i'm simply trying to on average how much time does an individual spend watching pornography every day 
Um, 35 to 40 minutes. I find it interesting that... That's from Psychology Today. Right. Okay, in case you're wondering where I'm citing this from right now. And so Psychology Today, today and we're going, we're going to go on the presumption that they are doing this with some semblance of um, rigorous scholarship and criteria. It is now telling us that people on average are spending more time, not just on social media, mm -hmm. but on something that is detrimental to their psychology, something that is detrimental to their physiognomy. Sure. What would happen if from 29 minutes, we go to almost 40 minutes, almost an entire hour every day? What would happen if instead of viewing the smut of fornication, we give that time to studying the word of God and just reading it, read the right. story. Right. I mean, can you, what would happen in our church if people, not assuming that, it, well, and being honest, there are people probably in our, in our congregation that struggle with this sin. Sure, of course. Like in any other church in, in, Amer in North America and the world. What would happen if those that struggle with that sin, instead of watching that junk of pornography, they would spend 40 minutes in God's word? Just, just put your, put on your wishful thinking cap, and what would happen? Life transformation. That's a, yeah, it would like complete transformation. And and I think to, to come back to yesterday's sermon, the reason that we look for other things one is because of our sinful nature. Two, I think it's also because of our broken relationships. So part of the whole conglomerate of things that, from this weekend. Dr. Stephen Spivey, who is the former interim pastor at this church and a professor of uh, theological matters at Wayland Baptist University here in Texas, came and provided the sessions on mental health and discipleship. Well, one of the biggest things that we see in people who make use of anything that is mind-numbing or self-gratifying like pornography or any other type of outlet it's because they're dealing with a, a relationship or a personal issue that they have not had the desire perhaps or they have no inclination of addressing like perhaps being suffering abuse at the hands of a, of a parent a loved one in their close family or extended family uh, the loss of a friend the loss of a job the loss of anything any type of grief Again, the question is, what happens if in the moments when we are faced by that particular grief, instead of looking for the quick fix, we go for the slow and steady solution that lasts? Yeah, so, and that's that's a matter of disciplining ourselves. Um, you know, I've, I, I've come to know that pain pursues pleasure, right? So pain right. is going to seek out pleasure to overwhelm that sense of whatever has pained us. Right. And we express, uh, we express that through whatever sort of, um, whatever sort of way we might, uh, derive pleasure. Um, which by the way, we also have made into somewhat of a expected norm because of the way even our, uh, our film industry pursues that. So sure. You get, you see, for example, the parents are having issues, and what what is mom usually doing when the couple's having issues and they have kids? Well, mom goes to drinking. 
Mm-hmm. When the, the, that relationship between mom and dad is suffering, what is dad doing? Well, he goes out drinking to the bar or he goes looking for an affair. And then the children are left. And usually, again, just by a number of movies, even some of the classic ones that we may even enjoy watching, like uh, the Godfather series. Violence, uh, looking for ways of prestige and power, even in, in society. And that's how you know you get into a... I'll make him an offer that he cannot refuse that situation, which, by the way, to bring it into a spiritual component, that's almost like the way Satan wants to work with us. I'll make him an offer he, he cannot refuse. Mm-hmm. And it's it's pleasurable because he he presents to us these things that make sense in right now, this world. But God is the one who says, no, the best way is what makes sense for eternity. Right. And that's, again, coming back to the hurry up and wait. If we think that this is our best life now, if we think that this is where we can have all the pleasures of life and have no suffering, then we're going to be more given to giving in to the temptation of fix it right now. To quote one of our good friends, Jonathan Smith, uh, we want to microwave the brisket. Right. And maybe we'll leave it there. Don't microwave the br- the brisket. Don't microwave the brisket. <laughs> And hurry up and wait. Yeah. Let's leave it there. That's it? That's it. That's it? 30 minutes? 30 minutes. And I forgot I fired you last week, so you slid (laughs) in here, man. I just realized that. It's okay. So uh, thank you for showing grace and mercy. (laughs) So for those of you who are listening, joining us uh, via video, thank you for sticking with us and by us. We would like to let you know that uh, there may be a change into the room that you see us in. Not necessarily this room, but another one. And uh, we want you to submit points of discussion. Um, we also would like to encourage you to tune in to the recordings for the Equip Conference, as we had a wonderful array of people that provided us wonderful content. And who knows, maybe I think we can make those even available for listening only like audio yeah, only, yeah, I think so. which is easy enough. And we'll cut them down into the sessions alone. Uh, so be on the lookout for that until next time. This is pastor Dan Newberg and I am your host, Carlos Garduño. This is disciple life, the Bible and everyday life. Have a wonderful week. Bye everybody.